Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Pagans Tonight. Pagans unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. Good evening, everyone. This is Raven Fireball, and you are listening to the Tree of Life Hour. Samara should be on here in a moment. Um, the Tree of Life Hour is brought to you by the Tree of Life Community Center, a nonprofit group of people in the Louisville, Kentucky area, dedicated to creating space for people of Earth-based religions and philosophies. And tonight, as promised, and we know it's been a couple weeks coming, we actually have the Authors Roundtable from Huff. We actually got it up. We've actually got it edited. Um, and this was actually, I was actually at this roundtable. It was great. It was funny. Um, I actually learned a, a lot. And this is one of those episodes and a lot of the stuff from the roundtable, stuff we really wanted to share with our listeners. So I'm going to go ahead and play the intro for the roundtable. And Hope you all enjoy. I'm Don Davis. I'm a druid and eclectic neo-pagan priest, and uh, I'm actually going to be a contributor with in Oberon's new book that's coming out on pagan uh, death rites and rites. And uh, I've also writing. I've also well known for blogs on the internet. Uh, I followed. Uh, I was Morning Glory's attendant for the last. And basically kept everybody informed as to how everything was happening. Well, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Thank you. I'm Bonnie Ballard. I'm Asheville Village Witch. Uh, I have written this book. Of course, I have. It's not only one book, of course. I have that out. It's called Stalls in Ditchwater, and it's about Appalachian folk magic. And I blog, and I write a column for Witches in Vegas. And I don't write enough, but I'm also a farmer, so... <laughs> I'm Oberon Zell, and um, I've written a bunch of books. Email uh, for the Apprentice Wizard, and Penny for the Apprentice Wizard, and Creating Circles and Ceremonies, and a Witch's Beast, I uh, know Wizard Beast here, yes, a Wizard Beast here, uh, see, Green Egg Omelette, and um, and recently, our, our most recent one is Morning Glory's My Life Story, The Wizard and the Witch, and uh, working on a book now for Llewellyn. Uh, to be called, as Don said, Death Rights and Rights, which will address all the issues around death and stuff from the technical aspects and the legal aspects to the mythological aspects and the magical aspects and the ritual aspects and the, um, you know, what happens to a body when it uh, dies and what happens to everything. It's going to be an ambitious book, but then so are they all. I'm Gypsy. Um, I'm a novelist. Uh, I build shit. And, books. Um, this is about books. Baby. <laughs> and I've written two books for Wiser, um, Steampunk Magic, and the one that just came out this week that some of you may or may not have already gotten, um, The Witch's Guide to Wants. Congratulations. Uh, Welcome, Gypsy. Hey. 
I'm Rowena Whaling, a.k.a. Rowena the Glen. Uh, I have my first novel that was released about nine months ago. It's called Voices of the Stars. It is historical fiction fantasy. It is Arthurian. Um, I hope everybody reads it. <laughs> and uh, But I'm a, also a poet and a songwriter and a singer. Welcome, Rowena. Thank you. I'm Alex Bledsoe. I write uh, a series of novels about uh, fairies that live in East Tennessee and play folk music. <laughs> and the new one comes out in two weeks. It's called <laughs> Long Black Pearl. Finally! <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Welcome, Alex. <laughs> I am not a number. I'm a free man. Mm. I didn't Do say you were a prisoner. I am uh, M. R. Sellers. Uh, I have written a metric fuck ton of books about uh, a witch who solved serial murders in St. Louis with the Major K Squad, uh, the Rowan Gant investigations, and a spinoff series featuring a, uh, a character who's an FBI agent, uh, Constance Mandalay, who goes off and investigates rather paranormal incidences, uh, kind of a Millennium meets Twilight Zone meets X-Files sort of thing. Cool. Awesome. Welcome, Murph. I'm Dorothy Morrison, and I've written a bunch of books. I wrote the Everyday Magic series, The Craft, Utterly Wicked. Uh, I wrote one novel called Ascendant's Web, which is really good. Uh, and I am the proprietor of Okay, this is Tamara, and it looks like that may have got Sorry about the cut off a little bit. <laughs> did it get cut off, or did it just stop playing? It it stopped playing, I think. It cut Dorothy Morrison off. Oh no! Oh, uh, that's okay. We got her talking good later on too. <laughs> so, yep. um, and I and I apologize for that. I'm the one that did the editing, and um, I was with Audacity, and I hadn't really used Audacity before, so I was kind of playing with it. So I apologize. Uh, would you guys? doing some good talking and stuff later, though. So, um, and, just, and for those of you all who are wondering, I actually recorded a lot of this audio on my iPhone using the Voice Record app for iPhone. So for those of you all who are ever curious, you know, you go somewhere and you, like, want to record a workshop and you're wondering what would be a good app to use, the app is completely free. And... I was able to basically get these episodes, uploaded it to Dropbox, and then Samara took it, put it in Audacity, and went from there. Just just so that you all know, because some people are curious about that type of stuff. So, um, okay. So the next thing um, that they discussed was why they write in the pagan genre. Uh, the question was brought up, why do you write in the pagan genre, considering it's not really a huge money-maker area? So, and these are the answers. And um, like I said in chat, we marked this as PG-13 because Merv and Tish and a few other people made some comments that made it a little bit more adult-orientated. Yes, there is cussing in the show tonight. Sorry. But, so here we go. This is um, everyone talking about why they write in the pagan genre. Actually, my book is for the popular. Okay, we'll do it. We're but I have written an entire mystery system in it. Okay. That was like, you know, 
<laughs> it's historical fiction fantasy. So. Okay. Well, with my books, I, I was trying to go for a really fancy niche market that, that was the Harry Potter market. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's a teeny little market. Clearly, there wasn't that much of a market for that kind of stuff. <laughs> but, but, but I thought if I could tap that one, you know, um, that there might be a little response to that. So. You know, I, I write pagan books because magic is what I do. You know, it's, it's my life. It's not something that I just, you know, take off and put on like an old jacket. And so it's what I know. What else are we going to write about? <laughs> I like fiction because when it shows up, it shows up and it won't go away. Um, so I usually write two fiction a year. Um, they have some kind of um, esoterical or metaphysical undercurrent. One of them is Ragnarok, the Norse end of the world. Um, a couple of them are, are vampires and uh, some others are, are cannibalism and, and things like that, but they're all top reading. Um, <laughs> Marco Adler said, Fangs and Claws is one of the three best vampire books she ever read, and I've got that in an email from her. Well, uh, um, I like, I like um, magical books because I can't. Um, and I just I started writing Witches Guy Wands because it was just my workbook on all the woods that I turned and all the magical properties of the woods and then when Wise got a hold of them it turned into some people. I am part of a, an old and fading culture in the southern highlands of Appalachia. And so what I'm trying to do is to preserve a culture that is thinning and will be extinct. So that's why I write Bless you. I've, uh, I, for years, was part of a, an oral tradition and told, you know, you need to try to pass it on orally. And I started blogging and writing these things down about four years ago because I realized that nobody was coming to ask me about the stories. And my children and my grandchildren all think they're very nice stories, but they're also not pagan. They, they've chosen a different spiritual path. So this is where I'm, I'm writing of my experiences of being pagan, of coming, uh, coming into this, you know, coming into this life. It, it, it is a life. I, I don't think any of us would mind if our stories became incredibly popular. <laughs> I, I, I don't write for any specific audience. I write the story I I want to tell at that moment and. The, the the Tufa novels that I've written really appeal to pagan audiences, and but it wasn't it wasn't written just to, for that, you know. Be, and I'm glad it does. That's why I'm here, is because you know pagan audiences get what I'm trying to do the the best, and that's why I like I'm here to you know to meet and greet with people like that. But I think we'd all be perfectly happy if the mainstream embraced us and gave us lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, what? My turn now? Yeah, if, if you want to share. Well, everybody know what a number 10 can is? Yeah. Well, you just built one with worms and opened it with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I started writing actually science fiction and then went into writing thrillers. 
And the whole witchcraft aspect came into it because of the fact that I, you know, I practiced witchcraft and so on and so forth, and I thought, hey, it'd be really cool to have a witch solving crimes and being the good guy instead of the bad guy in the story. The can of worms comes where when my first novel came out, the pagan community didn't necessarily embrace it. They saw it, didn't bother to read it, and immediately thought that I was making fun of them. So I actually had to purchase several hundred copies and send them out for free to pagan festivals around and and get you know say here have something for your auction or your raffle or whatever just to get the pagan community to realize that I wasn't making fun of them that I was one of them there's your can of worms but uh, you know that that's yeah, but other than that Alex took my answer <laughs>
it was just a great listen. So, because you got to remember, I wasn't there, and I really enjoyed listening to this when Ravenfire recorded it. So I'm going to play this for you. Um, it's about 20, 21 minutes long, but it is, especially if you want to write, even if you don't want to write, it's an entertaining segment. If you do want to write, it's entertaining and informative. So here we go. Don't do it. <laughs> Run now. <laughs> Marry well. <laughs> then divorce better. <laughs> Well, I think one of the things I've heard in the year that I've been uh, kind of working with Oberon different things, I hear from him all the time, is carve out uh, make time right. Because, like, you know, there's a lot of times when, because of his popularity, you know, people think he's really available and stuff, but he honestly needs a couple, three hours a day just that they're pounding the keys, and he's, he's said this to me, and he's not the first author I've heard say this, is that, you know, I need more time to write. And I said, well, make the time. Just say, I'm not available from noon to three or whatever time you want to carve out, mm-hmm. and that's your that's your time. That's the time for the creation, because that's what I did when I wrote news stories and, and things like that. I had my, and a lot of things I worked on were deadlines. But I, you know, they knew that from two to four, you know, you didn't bother not. He was in editing or doing something. And that's basically what I, I recommend everybody. If you're going to write, make time just to do that. In other words, get somebody else to do the cooking and the housekeeping. And, yes, and, um, yes. And, 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 and everything else that is not you, right? And good luck on that. If a major publishing house won't take you, do it yourself. Um, yes. It, yes. With Create Space now that Amazon owns, um, I've got seven or eight novels under Create Space. It takes about 30 minutes to be up and finished with the templates. Mm-hmm. And 90 seconds later, you've got a Kindle up. Wow. And so, and you get everything straight to you. Um, unless you've got, and even if you've got a major publishing house, you're still on your own for publicity and going out to places like this. So if you're going to do that, don't pay someone who's going to do Create Space anyway and market under their own their own label. Because in Create Space, you can put your own um, publishing um, label right there, and you never know it's a Create Space. Do it yourself. Um, we published uh, we published our book for on prison industries. Uh, through great space, and it, it's, been, it's been absolutely amazing. Yeah, because when somebody buys it on Amazon, they don't know who publishes it, unless they look at the very bottom. They want to buy it. Murph, Murph has that. Yeah. I just, no, once you're, once you're, you're finished. No, no, go ahead. I, I wanted to, you know, I, I said run, but uh, the on a serious side of that, if you really have a passion to write, write for you. Don't yeah. try to write for anyone else. Write what makes you happy. Yes. Don't care about them. Who is this down here anyway? What what's the question? Who are you? Introduce yourself. I'm Tish. That's Tish. Okay, do you write? Yes. Have you published things? Yes. Tell us why you write. Keep me out of jail. <laughs> 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 the judge says you get a lot of it. Tell me what you're saying. 
wrote, I wrote a book about festivals. Uh, that's Dorothy's fault and Merv's fault and Isaac Bonwitz's fault. And they said, this is a really good festival. You should write a book. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to write a book? Okay. So I wrote a book, and now I'm um, revising the book. And then I wrote a book about spells because I have a shop, and I write spells for people and do magical things and make spell kits. And so I had all these spells, and I was talking to him about it. I'm like, yeah, I got all these spells. Are they on a computer? Well, yeah. So I can print them off and hand them to people. He's like, you need to submit it. Mm-hmm. So, so I did that. But now I'm writing fiction, too. So. <coughs> and I don't know why, except that I dreamt it, and then I wrote it. And So all of y'all say that it's your passion, and you would encourage other people to do it. Um, Mac, no, you're taking, you're putting words in our mouth when you say it's your I didn't get to talk. About I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, uh, if, if you're going to write a book, quit whining about it and do it. There you go. You know, I, I get these emails from people all the time going, God, Dorothy, I really want to write a book. You know, what you know, what kind of advice would you give me? Blah blah blah. And it's like, you know. This is the third time you've told me that. Why, why are you writing me? Why are you not pounding the keyboard writing that book? Mm-hmm. You know, do it. Just do it. Yeah, if you've never had a had a writing routine <laughs> set up, set yourself goals that are makeable. If you can, if you only have time to do 500 words a day, just do 500 words. But do it every day. Some days you may do more. Some days you may do less. But if you can average that, you will eventually get a novel. And if you set a goal that you know you can't make, if you say, I'm going to write 5,000 words every day, nobody's going to do that, you know? Nobody who has a life is going to do that. We were just pretty close friends with Miriam Zimmer Bradley back in the days when she was writing her Dark River books in the midst of Avalon and stuff. In fact, that if you look at the uh, acknowledgments in there, um, and she taught writers' workshops to salons and all kinds of things, and she encouraged people to write. She, she put out little newsletters that were little fanzines that other people wrote stuff for. But she had one adage that she repeated every time. It was really important. She drummed it in the She said, apply seat of pants to seat of chairs. <laughs> and and that, really, that really sums it up. If you're going to be around your life, whatever that involves, you know, and if it's not coming, um, you know, the writer's block kind of a thing, then, then you know, do something else. Because, you know, if you're really going to be a writer, you, you, then you will have that passion. Okay, I got I got to say something about writer's block. All right. There's no such thing as writer's block. If writing is your job, you do it. You don't. Electricians don't get electricians blocked. That doesn't mean that some days it won't be agony. It won't be like pulling teeth. Some days it will. But you go to work every day, and you have to approach writing that way too. You 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 can't blame it on some arbitrary thing like. Writer's block because that's not real. That's an excuse. You know it is, and you know when when I used to get to the point, it's like where I didn't know what to say anymore. It's like I didn't know how to approach a subject. Finally, I go okay. Do I now? If you were sitting at the, at the table with a cup of coffee and somebody was sitting on the other side of that and you were having a conversation, what would you say to them about this? Mm-hmm. And I would sit down and write that. Now, I might have to revise it later, but at least that idea was there and I had an angle I could go from. But just go, if you're stuck on something, go for, don't don't think about what the next page or the next scene, go for what the next line is going to be. 
Go for what the next word is going to be. Break it down until you've got some sort of forward momentum, even if it's tiny, because that will accumulate, and you will get through that patch, and then when you come back and read it over, you'll see exactly why it was so hard, and you can fix it. I think one of the key things in, in writing or, or art or many things is that you have to really get obsessive about it. You know, you've got to be where you're, you're thinking about it all the time, you're dreaming about it at night. And one of the things I find in writing that is really helpful for that is research. And you know, when I'm picking up a, to write about a particular topic, I will read dozens of books on that topic. You know, I, I have whole bookshelves you know, that I accumulated specifically because I was writing a book on some topic and I wanted to read everything there was on it. And then you, that, this gives you the inspiration. You see things, oh, i got to talk about this, or, man, that's bullshit. You know, i got to straighten this out. And it really helps a lot to get you going. But the main thing with all this stuff is you really have to reach that point of obsession. You know, if, if this is going to be your work, it's, it, it has a life of its own. You know, it sits over your shoulder and demands to be written, and you become just a vehicle. Yes, 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 sir. Yes, ma'am. As fast as I can make my fingers move. Faster, faster. There goes the little voice over you. And that kind of stuff is all part of the process. I'm, I'm going to ask a question. Um, starting at that end, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> how do you plan your writing, and when, and how much do you do a day, or whatever? So I write every day. Okay. Do you do you see what you're writing? Do you outline what you're writing? That sort of thing. And that's um, for the book on festivals. I outlined it because there were specific topics that I deemed important. And for the spell book, I kind of did the same thing. Spells on love, spells on money, spells on everything. Um, and and just then kind of started plugging in all the information. The fiction book is different. The fiction books are different because I get an idea and. I know how it's going to begin, and I know how it's going to end, and then I just have to fill in the middle, and then I have to edit it about 47 times. So, now he has a murder board. I don't need a murder board then. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love, I love your, your, your well, board. Well, your, yeah. your turn next. I'll talk about the murder okay. board. Okay. You know, it, it depends on what I'm writing, but I also, if, when I'm uh, writing books, I write every day. Uh, my, my rule of thumb is three double spaced pages a day. If I do more, that's great, but that doesn't relieve me of my responsibility to do three more the next day. And, you know, when, when people think about, about, oh, my God, can I write an entire book? If you've got a book contract, chances are you're going to have six months from date of contract to turn that manuscript in. So you're already on a deadline from the second you sign the contract. And, and so, but if, you know, you do three double-spaced pages a day in 30 days, you have at least 90 pages of that done. So think about that, you know. And, you know, somebody was talking about about scheduling time. Um, I, when I started um, writing my books, I was working 70 hours a week running the Humane Society Animal Shelter. And so the only time I had to write was between 3.30 in the morning and 6 in the morning when I had to get a husband up and a kid up to, to go to school, go to work, pack lunches, so, so on and so forth, and then go to work myself. So that, that making time to write, yeah, that, that's something you do. If you really want to do it, then you make the time, even if it means you get less sleep. Oh, board. It's my turn? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, I write five days a week unless I am pushing a deadline and I'm behind. But uh, other than that, I write Monday through Friday, 12 to 5. 
That's when I'm putting words on the page. I set a goal of 1,000 words per day. I try to overshoot that if possible, but I always shoot for a grand a day. And since I write thrillers about serial killers and such, there are usually dead people involved. Uh, I'm much like Tish in that I have an idea. I, I know how it's going to begin, and I know how I think it's going to end. I've never had a book end the way I thought it was going to, but... I know I think it's going to, so I, I, I aim for that. And I tend to plot about eight chapters in advance, and I have what I call the murder board. And the murder board is a very large whiteboard that's on the wall next to my desk in my office. And I have the chapter headings up there, and I just write down what I think is going to happen. And it never does. But I'm constantly scratching things off and you know moving on. But it, it, it allows me to focus on some kind of a flow. And then the characters take over and say, fuck you, we're going to do this. <laughs> you know. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, if I'm trying to sell a book before I write it, I do have to do an outline. Usually, like, like they said, usually the story doesn't follow the outline past a certain point. And my editor is understanding about that. She, she knows that there's a process to this and that Usually the ending I come up with is better than the, the outline ending because it's more organic. It comes out of the material rather than being imposed on it. And I'm kind of like Marv. I aim for a 1,000 words a day. I get up at 4 so I can write a couple hours before I get my kids up for school. And it's just a matter of, of find, you know, making sure I have the time to make my goals. You know, part of that getting up real early in the morning is great because the phone does not ring down. That's true. You know, so you really you're insured you're assured that you're gonna have this quiet time because nobody else in the world is alike. Yep. <laughs> well, <clears throat> it isn't that I wrote the whole book there, but I do have a little witch's cottage out in my backyard and when that door is locked, even Ember knocks on it. So it's like sacred space for me for writing. Um I did not have an outline written I know, I think you're supposed to do that, but I, I really had, again, where the premise of it and where it was going, but just because of the nature of my book, it's all um, many um, autobiographical journals of people who saw these various things happening in their own words. So it was, it, it was very complicated. And it's 680 pages, so it, it was like a five-and-a-half-year-long project. But, yes, I wrote all the time. I took every opportunity to write and made opportunities to write the book. I'm a research librarian at Clemson University, um, and so I write 11 hours a week. Uh, I'm on the reference desk, and I have five lunch hours. So I have two 23-inch screens for research. We were talking about research. And I just write. I have no outlines when I'm writing fiction. I have no idea who my characters are. I don't know how it's going to end. I don't even know what's going on. Uh, I have always been able to turn a video on in my head. And I type what I see at 80 words a minute. And when I'm done for the day, save it. The next day, I start at whatever chapter, start reading and seeing and when I get to the end of what I've typed, the video's still going, and I just type. And I'll have 300 pages done in about five weeks. 
when the book is done. So when a book, but I don't write every day. When a book's ready to come out, it comes out between five and eight weeks, and then it, it goes up, and it's done, and then it sits until the next idea shows up. So overall, well, um, one of the things that I have found is, um, in my experience, since I've gotten into this, is that uh, a lesson I had from a um, publisher once long ago, and he said that a publisher's job is not to print the book. Publisher's job is to sell the book, to market the book, which is why I've, um, I've I've tended to go with publishers. I also tend to give advances, and you don't have to pay them; they pay you. And these are major reasons um, that I found useful to do with this. But as for um, you know, scheduling and stuff, I find it impossible maintaining any sort of a schedule in my life because it's constantly being interrupted by things that I don't really have any like you know coming out to festivals. You know, or people coming by, or um, things happening. So for me, the writing is kind of catch as catch can. But I find it extremely useful to have a contract with a publisher because they've sent me some money up front and they give me a deadline. They say this manuscript has to be in by this certain date. So if I'm going to do that, I have to pace it out. It's not like how many pages or how many words a day. It's um, okay. How many? How far am I along in a given week? Or I'll break it down in outlines and chapters, and I'm going to have so many chapters, and I'm going to do a chapter a week or a chapter a month, that kind of a thing. And um, the interesting thing about this is that you get assignments that they think can be so many pages. So in my first several books, in fact, all the ones I did for New Page, I didn't just write them. I also illustrated them and formatted them. And I format them, if you've seen my stuff, rather bizarrely because the text and the graphics all weave around each other and there's no way I could just send a text off to somebody I had to do that. And it's a very different look than the stuff that I've done for Llewellyn because they don't do that. You know, they just you give them the text and then they they take over. And I'm not nearly as happy with that arrangement because I like to be able to turn in a disc that goes to the printer. And that's that's what I've done. And then I just sit back and wait for them to send me money. <laughs> I write mostly nonfiction, so and I do a lot of magazine uh, freelance writing. So I'm the person who can write 2,000 words on almost any subject. And the reason I can do that is because I'm endlessly curious about things. So if I have to sit down and, and interview a football player, which I'm absolutely not interested in, I can find a hook that I think my audience is going to respond to. And because I am curious, I want to know more and more and more. And so I'm very sort of workmanlike about it. I will say, how many words do you need? What's the deadline? What's the subject? And then I start. And sometimes I'll ask them what point of view they want it from. But I want to confess that I do one kind of writing in a very self-indulgent way. I write mediocre poetry. Now, I didn't write poetry for years. Well, I mean, when we're all 15, we write poetry, and it sucks. But, <laughs> but I feel like a person named Byron really should ever <laughs> So I write some pretty awful poetry for myself, and I read it over, and it almost never goes anywhere. But that's my self-indulgence. <laughs> For uh, for me, because I wrote 
um, I wrote news copy so, so many years where they would basically say, here's the story, you need to fit it in five minutes or 15 minutes, uh, an interview or whatever. That's why I said the 2 to 4 p.m. you didn't bother me because I was in there putting this story together because a lot of stuff that happened when I was a correspondent, you know, happened. And they wanted this in this two-hour time frame had to go on the 5 o'clock, all things considered. And it, it is a discipline. Now, for myself, there are times um, when I'm having, because I work in the death and dying community, and I write memorial services for people. And there are times that I'm writing this thing right up to the time of doing the memorial service. There was one particular that I did last year that I was up for 27 hours. The muse just was there, and I was typing that entire time and revising, and it went out. And that's just, I, you just never know. But I try to carve out for myself, personally, at bedtime, um, when there are no distractions, you'll you'll see me there, typing on the typing on the tablet, or dictating in my little box there, and uh, and then I go back to it later. And All right, and that was some good advice for other people that would like to write, and also just an entertaining conversation. Uh, there's one last audio clip that we have from the Authors Roundtable at Pagan. Oh, I can't talk. Roundtable at Pagan Unity Festival, and this is the one where the authors describe their books and um, different stuff. And for those of you that may have been listening, and you know, I've been listening to the authors talk and, and talk about how they write and stuff, but you may not know exactly what their books are or what they write about. And um, this was the end of the conversation where they actually kind of promoted their books and what they did. And there's some funny parts, as always, within Marcellers and Tish and Alex Bledsoe and Dorothy Morrison and everyone. Get them all in a room. There's bound to be some antics. So here we go. Um, this is the last uh, audio from Pagan Unity Festival's roundtable with the authors. And uh, we'll be back after this clip plays. Right here. You know I haven't slept in four days, right? That's okay. okay. So I'm going first, and then I can just... Then I can, then, yeah. You're not going to sleep for the next 20 minutes either. No, I guess I'm not either. Do you know about you, about writing? Why should they buy your first book? What, what well, it's brilliant for one thing. <laughs> if, if you want to write, for God's sake, just shut up and do it. It is worth the money to find an editor before you present it to a publisher. It is worth the money to find an agent. Editors, you you know, you want to ask around people that have used these agents because right now my son is using, uh, he's on his second editor. And, uh, and it is a brutal process because she write him back and she said, this is brilliant. You're a brilliant writer. Now, here's what you need to do to sell this book. So he walked around for three days and going kind of banging his head against walls. You need people to tell you that. And you need people to say, you know, do it that this way. This flows better. Try it like that. You need somebody outside of your mother to read your book. Mm -hmm. So why should they buy your book? Other than it is brilliant. <laughs> it's entertaining. I mean, if you like murder mysteries, um, it's a it's a 
It's a pretty damn decent murder. Wait a minute, I let me take it. this. All right, take it. Because, Shut up. Because, because I read that book, okay? <laughs> now. It's one of the first people that read that book. That These characters are so real that you want to invite them to dinner, okay? So that's why you need to read that book. Those characters live on in your mind forever. And how about your other book, the one that tells about festivals? Um, what's, the, what's your hook on that to get My hook on that is that there's a lot of festivals that really suck. Yeah. And if you would please read this book, yours won't. Okay. There's some place, I don't know where they're. Dorothy, what do you want them to know about you, about your books, about why they should buy you, what words of wisdom, what do you want to share? Ooh, let me take this. Okay. Because she's brilliant. Because her magic books are no nonsense, no bullshit, down and dirty. Here's how you do it. Here are the ramifications from doing it. It tells you everything you need to know to do magic without without fucking yourself up. And what else do you want, right? Yeah, there you go. No, I'm done. You want to to no, no, I am done. You're welcome. Sure. I don't do a full moon spell without referring back to your book every month. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yes, ma'am. Why buy your material? Because I have to eat. I write suspense thrillers. If you like being frightened and thrilled, do you like roller coasters? If you like roller coasters or anything similar to roller coasters in a literary <laughs> form, I kind of think I write that sort of thing. Um, you know, the Rowan Gantt investigations, you've got your witchcraft, you've got your serial killers, you've got your police procedural, you've got a little bit of a horror element added in there. Uh, it, you know, it's 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 right there. It's fun. I, I enjoy writing them, and you should enjoy reading them. I, you know, that's that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I want to go back to what you first said was to say something about why writing, why we, you know, why we write. Writing, if you guys want to be writers, it's an important job. It is something to be taken seriously. We have all read books that have changed our lives. And as writers, we have the chance to do that for somebody else. We may never know it. But it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And it doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. Okay. So if you're going to be a writer, you know, be proud of it. Take it seriously. Work at it. Don't, don't approach it as a hobby. It's something that can make a difference in the world. And you should buy my books because I'm passionate. <laughs> now, my, my, my books are about the troubles of in magic relating in the real world. And if that appeals to you, and it's, they're set in the South, they're set in East Tennessee, I think, you'd, I think you would enjoy them. Okay. Well, first about me, I've been a writer um, all my life, or at least I have been a poet and a and a songwriter since I was six years old. And by the time I was ten, I was writing stories. And so this has been my, my fire and my passion, of course, along with the musical aspect of it. And I'm so enthusiastic because I'm a new novelist. This is my first book out, and I'm going to put somebody on the horrible spot here. 
Oh, Brian, why should they buy my book? Well, if you happen to be interested in the Arthurian mythos, which I am, and many people obviously are, um, if you witness the popularity of movies and books on the subject, um, your book is the best there is. You know, I've, I've read all of them. I've seen all the movies and all the TV shows and read all the books on the thing, and and, and, and yours just, you know, um, skunks them all. You know, it's really, really amazingly good. Uh, so I recommend it. I rec you, if you like the Arthurian mythos concept at all, get into it, read her book. It's good. Thank you. Since you got the stage, finish up the rest of it now. Oh, all right, all right. Well, um, one of the things that I've always done, um, I've noticed when I read books, pick up books, that they have these testimonials. There's little blurbs on the back cover blurbs, and there's usually testimonials on the inside. So when I set out to write books, I've hit up people for testimonials, you know, and um, and also hit up people for uh, the forwards and introductions and stuff. And if you can get somebody that people already are used to listening to and pay attention to to write you a forward or a blurb, cover, back cover blurb, or a testimonial, not only does that convince the publisher that they ought to publish your book, but it might convince the readers as well. So uh, the kind of stuff we're really talking about doing here with each other, that, that really makes a difference, mm -hmm. I think. You know, get get uh, and and of course uh, you, it can't be like your mother. You know, obviously it has to be somebody who has a reputation, a fellow author. Somebody says, "Oh, I've read all these books on this, and this is the best one ever." And and we we've, we've had several of those kind of responses here, not just mine to Rowena's. You know, and those kind of recommendations, the word of mouth recommendations and testimonials, they go a long way to bring what you're writing to other people's attention who may not have heard of you before. Um, my One of my first reviewers said my stuff was a, a cross between Stephen King and Tom Clancy with a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft. Wow. Um, oh, wow. That's a good one. That's because good. my first five have the Cthulhu mythos. They're gods beyond time and space. Um, but Margot said it best, and a, and a number of other people have said it. I guarantee you, you will never see the ending coming. I don't care how much you follow everything. Because if you've ever read Clive Cussler, who who has everything going and then it works itself down and at the end you go, son of a bitch, I never saw that. And then you go back and go, oh yeah, she did say that. Those are my books. Cool. Um, I, I, deal, I, I deal with large scale things. Like one of my books killed 85 million. Um, another one puts a whole new species uh, in the workplace with um, two types of vampires, the Nishleben and the Untoten, the not dead and the, the undead and the not living. So it's, and I, I don't write series, I write one-ups, with the exception of Fangs and Claws, because I had to finish it. So, um, but yeah, the ending, and if I tell you there's a stop sign at this corner, there's a damn stop sign at this corner, because I will only write about things that I've stood and, and seen or done. And and I and being in the military all a good portion of my life and being a research librarian and traveling, I've been all over the world. So when I sink Chejido in South Korea and kill six hundred and fifty thousand in seventeen minutes, I've climbed that mountain and I've watched that. And so I, I can tell you why it sank and that sort of thing. So I right. can write with um uh, authority. Um, As it were. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, a, and a backstory because I've been there and I can see it and, and we go back to the video. Uh, when I turn the video on, it's like, oh yeah, I remember what it smelled like. And I remembered all of that because that's where I was. So. Byron? 
You should buy my book if you are an Appalachian person or if you have a root in the tortured and beautiful mountains of Appalachia. You should buy my book if you're interested in magic that really works, that doesn't require you to spend a lot of money, and that is effective and efficient. You should buy my book if you want to know more about what I call hill folks voodoo. And you should buy my book if you want to know about Appalachian culture. Because we're a culture that we're, we're vilified constantly. And you have like two choices. There's the noble Elizabethan speaking mountaineer who lives far up, far up in a hollow and makes his own corn cob pie. And then there's deliverance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not a lot of stuff in between, which is why Alex's books is so important, because you see real Appalachian culture, the good and the bad and the in-between and the magical. It is an intensely magical culture and always has been. I'm going to promote Oberon's books because they are absolutely amazing. I don't have anything right now. I write for others. I, I guess I'll just admit, I, I ghostwrite a lot of things. So I I don't have anything yet in in my name. But I can say one thing, that Oberon's books are the real deal. I mean, his grimoire uh, is something that needed to happen for years. And it happened, and there's there's a whole one. I think what I marvel at is I'm seeing the generation. We're seeing second and third generation pagans coming up now, based on reading these people's books and getting the right training and getting the right information. So that is the end of um, our. Our broadcast of some audio files from Pagan Unity Festival, the author roundtable. Um, we do have some more audio files that we'll be, we will be going over and editing, and getting them ready to per, to share with everyone from additional workshops and classes. Um, one of which was Dorothy Morrison's. I believe that was her Ask a Witch workshop that Ravenfire was able to attend. Let me see if Ravenfire is still on here. Ravenfire, are you there? Yes, I am here. Okay. Now, you got a lot of audio from the Ask a Witch workshop that I know I've been listening to that has a lot of good stuff in it. So we'll probably be doing uh-huh. that here soon. Uh, but next week, I believe, is your um, Heathen Perspective show, correct? Um, yes, it is. And I'm still working on getting stuff together for that episode. Um I thought I had a topic, but a lot of people are going to be gone at Trustmate. So, um, but yes, we will. We were going to have our heathen perspective episode next week. We might be talking about heathenism in pop culture, is what I'm thinking. Okay. We're going to be doing. And then also um, the week after, I believe it's the 18th. And right now in the works is to have Don Davis, who you heard speaking at the with uh, O'Brien Zell at the author table. Um, one of them or both of them, not sure which exactly at the moment, uh, may be on on the 18th to discuss the uh, Morning Glory Foundation that has been created and what that is all about. And I believe uh, we have audio that Serenity actually recorded of the workshop they actually did on that. 
So I will try to get some of that audio recorded or gone through and see if maybe there's something that we can use from that while they're actually on the air with us. And we also have the Neo-Pagan Conspiracy Workshop that Oberon Bell did, which was actually really, really interesting. It's kind of the history of paganism and from in the U.S. from like the '60s on up to now, and it's really it's really interesting. Some of the stuff he ta- he talks about it. It's a really good good. Uh, so we're going to also dig through the audio on that and get it up for you all to listen. So, so probably what this will is, happen is over the next couple months we will on and off do shows with some of the audio from. Pagan Unity Festival. <laughs> yeah, and here's here's the thing, you know, when you you know, now that you're actually hearing this, you know, we took this from a workshop. You know, I recorded it with my phone and this is the type of stuff you get when you go to festivals and stuff and go to these workshops. You know, if you're if you're if you're sitting alone and you really don't have any pagan community, these workshop or these these festivals are a great way to network, and you really learn a lot from these workshops. I mean, and I learned a lot just from sitting there and listening. You you really do learn a lot, and there's like listening to to this stuff again. It's like, man, I forgot I forgot that really great point that Dorothy made, or I thought I forgot about that awesome point that Alex Bledsoe made. And it's like, you know, just listening to this stuff over again. You know, it, I think it's great. But that's what you you know if you if you can if you can afford it try to at least make make it a goal make it one festival a year in one of the Facebook groups on one of the festivals I always try to go to every year somebody suggested setting aside a dollar a day and just have that as your festival money you know if you put back a dollar a day for a year that's three hundred and sixty five dollars that's that's you know that's that that would be more than enough um, for for a lot of festivals. That'd be more than enough to pay for your admission, you know, plus whatever food, souvenirs, whatever else you want, you know, stuff you want to buy on Merchant's Row. One of a kind stuff. magical items. <laughs> yeah, one of a kind magical items. Um, one of a kind items for upcoming ceremonies because I, I bought something at Pop. Um, made by Gypsy. I can't go into it too much on air because your significant other is listening and it's a surprise. Yeah, and he can't know what it is. The one thing I can say is it was made by Gypsy Pig and, you know, Gypsy's craftsmanship is impeccable. And I wouldn't have ever known about Gypsy and her craftsmanship. And, I mean, she... She makes things with love, and you can just tell, you know, anything that she makes, you hold it, and you can just see the love and care that a master craftsperson puts into something. And, you know, when you go to festivals, you'll see all these vendors and stuff, and they make stuff. You know, Samara does her her steampunk stuff. I mean, and a lot of people really, these festivals are a great way to network and to be a part of the greater community. I've met so many people that I don't think I would have ever met in my normal everyday life if I hadn't gone to festivals and you know now these people are great friends I mean you know I I would have been including met, people uh, including people that you've looked up to and have and have read their books like Dorothy Morrison yeah. um we've gotten to meet Christopher Penzak Oberon Zell Christopher Penzak um I mean and Hubbard I mean 
actually, you know, it, I mean, it was great at Circle Quest that one year getting to pick Ed Hubbard's brain about a lot of stuff with the community, you know, and, and that stuff you can do at a festival. I mean, and most of and the finally VIP, got to re- And we finally got to meet Tracy um, up at, at uh, Chris Willis. And, and here's the thing. At a lot of these festivals, a lot of the VIPs, they don't mind talking, having an extended conversation with you. You know, if you have a question or you've got something going on, they'll talk to you about it. You know, and and a lot of times we we'll hang out with you too. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, there's been times where like Oberon might say, you know, I've got a workshop right now, but you know, come and find me, you know, after after my workshop. And sometimes you'll get that, you know, I've got a workshop going on, but come and find me after the workshop and we'll talk. And you know, it's 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 you know, you think because some people think, oh my gosh, big big name pagans, you're kind of freaking out. And it's like no, you know, I and. You know, these workshops and stuff we recorded, you know, we asked, and everybody was like, no, no, go right ahead. Go right ahead. You know, please go ahead and tape it because, you know, I'm not going to put – we decided we weren't going to put audio clips because there's a couple of other workshops I recorded, but they were for personal use, not for us to broadcast on on the radio because, you know, they, they're just like, yeah, you can record, but don't broadcast. Which is fun, you know. It's 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 your intellectual property. I want to be respectful of that. But you know, it's really. I just think it's really great that you, you can learn a lot from these festivals just by sitting and listening. Shoot, the in Dorothy's class, that one, that one one thing, that one spell, that one charm she was talking about, the one spell that if um, if she had to be stuck everywhere, it only had to be oh, her, her one her, spell. Uh, that spell candle, yeah, that one. Spell with the candles. We will be playing yes. that. So, yes. So she gave us permission like, to use her workshop, so we will be playing that. I was just blown away because I had never heard of that spell before. And I'm just like, oh, wow. Wow. You know, of course, of course now I'm thinking, okay, I wonder I wonder if that can help, help my football team win the Super Bowl, but we won't go there. <laughs> I think you might be pressing the issue too much with that one. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I'm trying, I'm trying. But no, seriously, you know, these festivals are a great way to network. And I'm not saying go to Pagan Unity Festival, I'm not saying go to Christmas Moon or Heartland or PSG or anything. You know, I know um, Spirit of the Earth Church here in Kentucky has one. I know there's festivals up at um, up at Harmony, Circle Quest is up there. I know Camp Midian has festivals. You know, if you can't travel that far, find a festival that's, you know, maybe an hour, two hours from home. Don't ha- You don't have to go far. And you really do. You really get to meet and network with people and learn a lot. So, and, and you know, we really kind of want to encourage people to go out. It's festival season. Go out. Go to a festival. Expand your horizons a little bit. I'm like, I'm 20 shades of upset that I can't get off work to go to Christmas Moon this year because I'm like, man, Patrick McCollum's going to be there. And man, I really, I really just want to sit down and talk to him for several hours about some things. Just you know, basically he, yeah, he's been somebody. Things. Yeah, he's been somebody that we followed for a long time, and we actually got to have him on the show a while back and discuss his piece violin, and which and, and we I was were ecstatic about. <laughs> I was kind of geeking out. I'll, I'll admit it. I was kind of being like, "Oh my gosh." I'm not saying I was going all fangirl because I reserved that type of stuff for a couple of the TV shows I watch, which will remain nameless. But, um, you know, you 
and the other the other thing is about festivals like we just learned that we connect with people you know um alex bledsoe i would have i don't think i would have picked up his books he was at, he was at a festival i don't think i would have picked up his books so i'm just like i don't know i don't know if it sounds like it's for me and also was like you absolutely have to read this book you absolutely have to read the hum and the shiver I'm like okay fine i'll read it because he just kept he kept needling me on and on and on you have to read alex bloodpose the hum and the shiver you have to read this book you absolutely positively must read this book like okay 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 so i read it and then i'm like oh my gosh there's a sequel and then you know after i got done with it with the thing i'm just like oh my gosh Alex, let's go, please drop Long Black Girl because I just couldn't wait. And I've read it, and it's flipping amazing. I'm listening to but, it right now. I just started it the other day. So, but, um, I, I will tell you, though, listening to it is kind of weird because um, the guy that is reading it is the one that usually reads the Alex, the or the lacrosse, Eddie Lacrosse series. Uh-huh. So it's. It's kind of weird listening to Long Black Pearl with the guy that actually usually does Eddie Lacrosse. <laughs> I know, right? Which is two different, two completely different books by Alex Bloodsaw. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little, it's a little different. It's a little, you know, listening to, to someone that you're used to listening to in another context. <laughs> But yeah, no. no but so far, it's been really good. Yeah, but you know, seriously, I, I mean, I know people in you know can't be out at home or can't be out in their communities, and sometimes you know you live places, and I know there's places in Kentucky where you might be the only pagan in like a fifty, seventy-five mile circle, and the only way that you're going to get community is if you go to these festivals and get out, and I mean, you really find out about the larger community, the larger things that are going on the things that people are talking about, what is truly important to the community. And a lot of times you don't get that unless you're going to festivals and stuff. And that's something that, like, I seriously want to encourage our listeners to do. So, I guess so I'll before just be a we get off of... tonight. <laughs> well, it's because we didn't talk throughout the rest of the show. <laughs> and that, that could be it, too, yeah. So, um, but just so that everyone knows real quick, we do have to get off the air, but I do want to go over a few upcoming events that are coming up real quick. Um, This Uh Saturday, June 6th at 11 a.m. at Hayes Kennedy Park, it's the Louisville Pagan Pride Parade here in Louisville, or Pride Parade, Louisville Pagan Pride Picnic here in Louisville, Kentucky. It is at a new location, Hayes Kennedy Park at 11 a.m. It is a potluck, so bring a side dish, and the food starts at 1 and um, there's actually a new thing on my radar. There is called um, Pagan Leadership Webinar that Shauna or and oh, I yes. doing. Wednesday, yeah, June 10th at 7 p.m. Central Time online. There, um, You might want to do a search on Facebook and events. Um, I actually have this book on my Kindle, but as everyone knows, I don't have time to actually sit and read. I have to listen to everything. I haven't had a chance to um, read it, but um, she actually has her uh, The Leader Within book as part of the um, picture for the event. And my computer just, I lost the page. There you go. There it is. 
Um, she is asking for donations of $5 to $25 per two-hour uh, class to help pay for the Zoom service, I guess, it's, uh, which is, I guess, what she's using. I don't know much about it. Um, is there is a link for Square on it if you can donate. And uh, she's also going to be recording the sessions. Um, so she might be doing that, posting them in YouTube and stuff later on. But contact her. And you can, like I said, it's called Pagan Leadership Webinar. So you can do a search and bring that event up. It's something I'm looking forward to hopefully doing. Mm-hmm. So, and then let's see, we have... Look, I actually got my laptop working, and now I'm having, I'm just fighting with it. Uh, Draconis Arcanum is having a one-year anniversary weekend in, I believe that is in Nashville, Tennessee, at their shop, uh, Friday, June 12th. Um, Harmony Earthwise Traditions in Palmyra, Kentucky, or Palmyra, I'm just out of it, Palmyra, Indiana, is having a Healing, Mer- Healing Mother Workshop June 14th. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, Charitable Hearts Fest at Harmony Nature Sanctuary, June 19th through the 21st in Palmyra, Indiana. Um, Summer Solstice, June 19th through the 21st at Harmony Nature Sanctuary um, in Palmyra. Corn and Honey, 2015, June 26th to June 28th at Midian Festival and Events um, in, what city is that? I can't remember. It's in Indiana. Camp Midian. I already said Camp Midian. <laughs> Springville, Indiana. <laughs> Springville. Oh, shoot. Yeah, never mind. I forgot about that place. So that's where I'm going to cut it off for now. We'll go more into July events next week. So but I hope everyone has enjoyed the show tonight. Um, I actually enjoyed listening to everything all over again, even though I edited it. Um, you missed things that people say, because when you're editing it, you're just listening for stuff that maybe you all don't want to listen to or isn't as important as the other stuff. So, I know I enjoyed listening to it all over again. I hope everyone else did. So, with that being said, um, I believe we have some water spray on here. And they were at Pagan Unity Festival. They played at lunchtime. Yes, you get you get entertainment at lunch and dinner. And then to watch it after dinner. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to play um, Jack Montgomery and Water Sprite. And let's play something fun. I'm going to play Outdoor Nudist Wedding. So... Um, That's going to take us out of here. So I hope everyone has a wonderful evening, a blessed evening, and we will see you all next week. Raven? And y'all be safe out there. (laughs) And we'll see y'all next week. Sorry. That's okay. All right. Everyone have a good night. Said, look here, pal, would you like to make some money? I know it's late, but there's a wedding day, and the day is nice and sunny. If we do this gig, they'll pay us big. It's out there by the lake. 
just you and me and the booze is free, we'll eat some wedding cake. As we roll along and sang our song, guitars on the back seat, he said to me, I know you'll see, these folks are really quite neat. Oh, we guess there, I guess I should share, these folks are naturalists. As we arrived that day, I turned to say, the word is naturist. Nudists, naked folks. Well, I'm here to play, there ain't no way, no clothes will I be shedding. I'll wear my pants and I won't dance at the outdoor nudist wedding. Well, the bush and bride was short and wide, the groom was tall and hairy. The preacher stood as if made of wood, and when he said, you're married, then hugs were all moving on the call. It was all just too direct. The rites of spring as we did sing, and the blossoms stood erect. At the stroke of noon, the bride and groom with family and friends. Without a care in the watering air, the party did begin. We played our tune through the afternoon, the dancing did come in. Oh, bless my heart, the moving parts in the absence of pretense. Things big and tall, short and small, providing new sensations. Things firm and round, things hanging down, they're sharing violations. Well, I sat down upon the ground to have some cake and punch. There was Bob and Ben, the two best men. They were having more than lunch. In the broad daylight, in the plains, I still was loving near and far. When Grandma South said, honey, stay a while. I headed for the car. Well, I'm here to play. There ain't no way, no clothes that I be shedding. I'll wear my pants and I won't dance at the outdoor nudist wedding. Yeah, I'm here to play, there ain't no way, no clothes will I be shedding. I'll wear my pants and I won't dance at the outdoor nudist wedding. to Pagans Tonight. Pagans Unite on Pagans Tonight. Many paths, one network. For over five years, we've been the place to connect with the best, brightest, and most trusted voices in the pagan world. Every night is Pagans Tonight. 